How about that bass? So good. How's everyone doing today? Are we good? Good, good. Awesome, awesome. Uh, well, hey, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And today we're going to be in Exodus 2, 11 through 22. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on or turn to Exodus 2. We got Bibles in the center aisle. If you need one, feel free to ask someone to grab one of those for you. Uh, if you've been coming to the transit for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been going through this series entitled Redemption, where we're journeying through the book of Exodus. And we're kind of looking at through this lens that their story is our story, that the same God that miraculously delivered the Israelites from their slavery and bondage in Egypt is the same God uh, uh, who, through the, the person and work of Jesus Christ, delivers us from, from our slavery to sin. And uh, if you were here last week, Jeff unpacked Exodus, Exodus 1 all the way up to chapter 2, verse 10, and he kind of unpacked this idea that God is the hero of the story. And last week, we see God's providential care in Moses' life at, the, at pretty much the time of his birth, that God used uh, the, the faith of his mother, the courage of his sister, and the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter to preserve uh, the life of Moses and put Moses right where he wanted him, and that was in uh, the palace. And this week in Exodus 2, 11 through 22, what we're looking at is Moses as an adult, Moses in our text is 40 years old, and he makes some decisions that kind of change everything. And, 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 and all of uh, kind of, not necessarily the mess, but the, the, the mess that we're looking at today, uh, we see God's faithfulness and God's care and God's uh, steadfast love for his servant Moses. So let's pray, and we're going to dive right into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who saves. You are the God who redeems. You are the God who rewrites stories. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, that you're the one who first loved us by sending your son, uh, Jesus, on the cross for us so that we can be reconciled to you. Uh, so thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. And uh, Spirit, I thank you for your presence here this morning, and I pray, Lord, that uh, uh, you would go to work in transforming our lives. Help us to see you and you alone as our hope uh, and, and as our redeemer. And uh, we pray uh, that you would be magnified, and that you would increase and I would decrease. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do here is we're going to just dive right in and journey through this together. So look at verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11 with me. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So if we were to stop right there and we were, if we were to take an, an audit, if you will, a snapshot of Moses' life as a 40-year-old, what we uh, would come to realize is this, is that Moses had it made. Uh, when it comes to uh, the, the hands or the cards that life can deal you out, Moses hit the jackpot. He got a, a royal flush, kind of literally, because he's part of the royal family of Egypt that time. And, and listen, being part of the royal family comes with certain privileges, one of those being a whole lot of money, baby, I'm talking wealth, luxury, his chariot that he was rolling around. It was probably a Rolls Royce, probably a $50 million yacht, all of his clothes were Egyptian cotton. Uh, drank fine wine and cheeses and had fancy creams and lotions, you know, all the stuff that rich people enjoy. He had wealth, he had luxury. That's part of the privilege of being the royal family. But what we know about Moses is he, didn't, he wasn't one of those people who was born into privilege and then wasted it. He put it to good use. He was responsible, and that's what we see uh, in Acts 7. We see that he was actually really well-educated, really smart. He knew a whole heck of a lot about a whole heck of a lot. And this is what it says uh, in Acts 7. This is Stephen's speech says this, at this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought 
him up as her own son. And Moses, verse 22, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Verse 22, he was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, basically meaning Moses had his doctorate in Egyptian studies, okay? Astronomy, chemistry, engineering, uh, music, the arts. I mean, he was, he was uh, a smart, well-educated, well-respected man. And we see also that he was mighty in his words in, and in his deeds. He had status. He had power. Scholars uh, maintain that he uh, was a general in Pharaoh's army who was, who was being groomed to be the second in command of uh, the mightiest empire in the world at that time. And so um, if the picture we have here of Moses is that my man was set for life. He was set. Just, just a roll of the dice, baby, piece of cake. You got it. As long as Moses doesn't mess this whole thing up, he's gravy. It's gravy. It's gold. Wealth, power, fame, status, what everybody wants. He has both presently and in the future kind of guaranteed. That's what he's got. That's where he's at. In, uh, in verse 11, but there's a problem that Moses is, is facing here. And the problem is, is that Moses one day is, is walking uh, amongst his people. And it's not just one day, it's the culmination of all these days uh, of this, is that Moses is seeing some things that are not sitting right in his soul. There's some, some things that he's seeing that he can't get out of his mind. One of those things, do you hear last week looking at Exodus 1, uh, is uh, he's seeing a little Hebrew a baby's being thrown into the Nile. He's seeing genocide. He's seeing his people, the Hebrews, being beaten to death, enslaved, in bondage, oppressed. He's realizing that the luxuries that he enjoys are blood-bought luxuries. They're coming off the backs of his people being tortured and oppressed. And, and, and he can't, he can't uh, live like that anymore. He, 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 there's a stirring in his soul. It's his, when his head hits the pillow, he's, he's not getting sleep. He's staying awake at night. He's seeing and he's looking. And when it says he's looking, it's saying that the, the, the Hebrew nuance to that verb is he's looking with compassion. And so Moses seeing this, and again, remember the hand that he's been dealt. He has some options, right? Moses seeing this injustice, this evil, and he has some options. Option one for Moses is ignore it. Option one is apathy, Right? Moses could ignore this and live a cozy, comfortable life forever, right? Nothing would change. Be like, man, yeah, I feel kind of guilty about this. But, but here's what he could have said. He could have said this. Man, God has been so good to me. Man, that could have been me under that whip. That could have been me thrown into the Nile. But it's not. Wow, God has been so good to me. And he's, you know, uploading selfies in his $50 million yacht. The hashtag's a blessed. Hashtag God's favor. Hashtag Jeremiah 2911, you know. Definitely could have, could have been that, right? Gosh, God, thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. I'm going to be grateful today, God. This uh, pumpkin spice latte is a little cold, you know, but, but today is a good day. Thank you, God. That could have been me. That's one, that's one option. Just ignore it. Option number two which would probably be the option that I would, would choose, would be, hey, God, you know, I know you, you put this stirring in my soul. I know that maybe you've called me to liberate these people, uh, be their, their mediator, and, and, and you're going to use me as their redeemer. But uh, how about this, plan, plan B? How about I keep the palace life, and I use my position of, of profound authority and power and wealth, and I'll subversively 
you know, liberate your people. I'll help them out, you know, kind of ninja style. I'll be a ninja Moses. And, uh, but I'll get, it's a win-win. Your people get help, and I still get my pumpkin spice lattes in the palace. This is great. That's option two for Moses. He could have done that, the win-win for Moses. But there's a third option. There's a third option that Moses chose, and it was this option. Verse 11, again, going to verse 12. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Moses walking amongst his people, and uh, he sees uh, this evil, so one of his own people probably getting beaten almost to the point of death, and he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses here it, it finally says, after decades of seeing this evil, decades of seeing this oppression, says, enough is enough. Something's going down. I'm doing something about this. I'm not waiting any longer. And he murders the Egyptian. And there's a bunch of debate, if you were to research this. Uh, not too much debate. Most scholars agree with what I'm about to say. But some debate on, was what Moses did wrong or right? Is this condoned? And um, here's how we know, I would say, I would argue that scripture is not condoning this. It says in verse 12 that Moses, it's right here in the text, Moses does this right before he murders someone. He goes, now I got news for you. <laughs> in the history of mankind, nothing good or redeeming has ever followed that, Okay. And just to, uh, I mean, give you an illustration is if, if you're watching your kids at your house and they don't think you're looking, all of a sudden you see your little beloved two-year-old go like this, I got, I got news for you. They're not about to write you a birthday card or, or bake you a cake for how much they love and appreciate your parenting, okay? They're about to burn your house to the ground and you better, you better intervene immediately because what, what that, that head shake uh, reveals is, is it reveals that there's a war going on in that person's soul. It reveals ill intent. They know they're about to do something that they know deep down this probably isn't a smart decision, probably isn't a wise decision. This is, this is for all intents and purposes, it's probably a really bad decision. But if nobody sees it, I'm gravy. That's a big, big if. And so where Moses went wrong is this, is uh, I think at this point there's a stirring in his soul. He was aware of his identity. Uh, it says in this text repeatedly, he was with his people, his people, his people. Uh, he was maybe aware that God at this point had placed a calling in his life to redeem and to rescue the Israelites, his people from bondage. And frankly, I think where Moses went wrong is that he took matters into his own hands. His intent was good and his method was awful. And he was tired of waiting on God who from his vantage point wasn't doing anything. For decades, he's looking around and saying, all right, God, you, you've put this stirring in my soul. And, and, and someone's got to do something. And I'm tired of waiting. Uh, your timing is off, bro. I think your clock is, is, is backwards or something. I don't know what's going on, but, but something has to be done. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to trust in uh, uh, my knowledge, not your knowledge. I'm not going to submit to your will. I'm going to do my own thing. And that's exactly what we see Moses doing here. He's made a rash foolish decision, uh, running ahead of God. And we know it's rash and foolish because he hid a body in the sand. Moses, have you ever seen a Dayline episode? Bro, you never had a body in the sand. 
the picture we get is he murders someone. He's like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and he's, you know, the picture we get of burying someone in the sand is you're, you're digging with your hands and, and you, you pile sand on top and the dude's toes are sticking out of the ground. And uh, that's the picture we get is that his, this decision was a rash, a foolish decision that was culminating up in, in his soul. And he finally just kind of snapped and, and, and just rushed ahead. And, uh, and, and one thing that is crystal clear in this text is that his decision accomplished nothing. It accomplished nothing for the redemption of his people. And, and, and uh, God's providence was over this, and we see God's hand and, uh, that, that God, even in spite of Moses, is using Moses' mistakes for God's glory. But Moses' decision here accomplished nothing. And I was listening to a sermon this past week, and uh, one, uh, the pastor, he was uh, saying this. He said, I love this. I love this. He said, there's two ways people live their lives. There's two ways you and I can live our lives, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. If you're here today and you're a Christian, there's still two ways you can live your life. Leaving here this Sunday morning is, one, you can choose to trust God, or option two is you can choose to trust yourself. Two options, and they're always at work in your life, always at work. I either trust God with my circumstances, trust God with my family. I, I, I humbly recognize my, my inadequacy as a parent or, or my, powerless over, my powerlessness over certain things in my life. And so I submit to God. I cry out to God. He's my redeemer. He's my rescuer. Or I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm my redeemer. I'm my rescuer. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to get things done. I don't need God. I don't need him. He's giving me a brain. I'm going to put it to good use. God helps those who help themselves. And God's given me lots of help. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. Option one, option two, option one, trust God. Throw yourself at the, 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 the feet of the cross of a merciful God who loves you and cares for you. Or option two is play God, be God, and, and see how that goes for you. But those, those two options are always at work in our lives. And this week, uh, if you're here and you're a parent um, this week, you, if you're here today and you're a parent, you know that you need at least like half an hour to an hour of prep before you go anywhere with kids, right? And so, uh, so sometime this past week, a couple days ago, my wife and I are going out and we're trying to, I'm trying to just get shoes on my daughter, two and a half years old. And um, she uh, is putting her shoes on the wrong feet. And I, as her all wise and loving father, come up to her and I say, hey, hey girl, you, just a heads up, like that shoe's on the wrong foot. You know, hey, let's, let's put that shoe over here. And I kid you not, my, my daughter looks at me and says, oh, beloved father who I respect and I, I love you so much. <laughs> She goes, she goes, no. <laughs> Shoe, go this. I was like, are you, are you serious right now? You really just corrected me? Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. You're... I was like, hey, hey, Kelsey, I don't know, you know, what the, the latest fashion trends are in your pre-preschool, but uh, I don't want you waddling, waddling around like a penguin with your shoes on the wrong feet, okay? Like your, your left shoe goes on your left foot, not your right foot, Okay. But what that revealed, what that was, was not as much disobedience as it was just complete lack of trust. It was, it was I'm a two-and-a-half-year-old. i got a brain. This looks right to me. This is how I like to wear my shoes. Pops, get out of my face, right? And, and as I was reflecting on that this past week, I thought, when it comes to my life, when it comes to my life, how often... Does God speak into my life to, to lead and guide me, maybe convict me of certain things so that he can lead me into repentance? And I look at God and I say, nope, shoes go this. I know what's best, you don't. How often do we do that, right? Trust in ourselves. And what, the problem you and I have is uh, we need a reminder of who our God is. 
I recently have been reading through a book called Awe by Paul Tripp, and he has a whole chapter dedicated to Isaiah 40. It's an awesome chapter where, where the prophet Isaiah is just going on a rant about God's majesty and, and his awesomeness. And um, uh, one of the lines there in Isaiah 40 is that God stretches out the heavens like a curtain, like you and I making our, our bed in the morning. That's what God did to the galaxies. Whew, boom, that easy. That's how big our God is. And here's the end of Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. I love how that starts. Hey, in case you forgot, have you not heard? Do you not remember? Have you not looked up at the sky recently? Do you not remember that our God is outside of time? He is the eternal, everlasting God. Remember the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His power, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, young man shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You and I are faint-hearted. You and I are limited. We have limits, big time, big limits. And we give ourselves, I think, far too much credit. But because of who Christ is and what he's done for us, we have access to this God of Isaiah 40, whose understanding is unsearchable. You need some wisdom? You need some guidance? You need some strength for your weary, uh, burdened heart? Go to this God who doesn't need a warm-up before he's about to do something, doesn't need a nap time, doesn't need to set his alarm clock. No, he's always at work. He's got unlimited energy. His knowledge is un, unsearchable. His, his, under, his power, immeasurable. Why in the world would we, if we understand and believe in this God of Isaiah 4, why in the world would we ever want to trust in ourselves and rely on ourselves? It's just, it's, it's literally, uh, you look up foolishness in the dictionary, and if this God exists and we have access to him because of Jesus, why in the world would we want to trust in ourselves, our silly minds, putting our shoes on the wrong feet? And our view of God often is far too small, far too small. He's far, far bigger uh, than, than, than we can ever imagine. And what, what we see here in our text is that Moses put his trust in himself. He was looking at the circumstances of his people, the plight of his people, and he was saying, God, you're not doing anything. At least for, from his vantage point, it looked like God was not doing anything. So he says, nope, shoes, go this, and I'm going to do something about it, God. And uh, this is what happened next. And when Moses went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Moses said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh-oh. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. And so what happens, what we see here in this text is, is, is I think this text kind of reveals Moses' mind is racing. Since the very next day he went out, I think he returned to the crime scene. I think maybe he was checking to see if the body was still there, checking to see if there are any witnesses. He's going out, and as he goes back, he sees two of his own people warring against each other, and he tries to intervene. He says, hey, you guys aren't the enemy. There's an enemy here, and it's not you guys. Let's be unified. He's trying to establish himself as uh, the mediator. As, as the redeemer of his people. And, and look at the underlying resentment of the, of the Israelites towards the Egyptians. Look at the hostility they had. 
Oh, palace boy has a guilty conscience? You're going to leave your palace for 30 minutes, come, come over here and try to clear your, your guilty conscience by doing some social work amongst us being enslaved? Get out of here. Go back to your palace life. And by the way, everybody knows what you did. Get out of here. That was the, the he, was, he was like, sure, they might have known he was a Hebrew or, 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 or you know, Moses knew and was trying to make that known to them or whatever. But um, uh, for all intents and purposes, and even him trying to come and help, they were saying, you are associated with our uh, enemy, our oppressors. So get out of here. Get out of here. And so Moses lost uh, in an instant. He lost everything. He lost uh, uh, his people, the Hebrews. Uh, they rejected him. And he lost his nation, the Egyptians. And he lost uh, literally everything. He went from being the prince of Egypt to Egypt's most wanted. And uh, Moses' worst nightmare came true. His secret that he thought was secret uh, got out, and word got about, out about it, spread like wildfire, and the consequences were uh, fierce. And see, what we see in this passage is I'm not, I'm not you know, uh, quick disclaimer, I'm not saying Moses had a habitual sin that he was hiding, whatever. Moses made a rash, de- a rash decision and, and hit a body in the sand. But I'm going to take a little commercial break here about our redemption groups. And uh, what, I, what I would uh, take a guess on is that um, what statistics would say is that some of us here today, we got some bodies in the sand. And what I mean by that is we got some secret sins that we're trying to, to, to keep locked up. Spouse doesn't know about them. Uh, nobody else knows about what, 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 what we're doing, what we're up to. Our whole life is oriented around us trying to, to make sure this secret doesn't get out, that this body in the sand doesn't get found out. And here's the deal. We're, with this redemption series, we're not trying to just uh, give you guys a good sermon series on redemption and, 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 and wax eloquently on theological truisms or, or whatever, although theology and doctrine is crucially important. What we want to see is we want to see Jesus Christ set people free from the bondage of slavery and, and, and addiction in our lives. That's what we want to see. That's our prayer. That's our hope. And so uh, there's these things called redemption groups that Jeff announced that we're going to be launching. And uh, uh, they're, they're confidential. Uh, anything that's said there is going to stay there. If you go to a redemption group and you come home to your spouse and uh, they say, hey, how is the redemption group? Your response is, hey, it was good. What did you all talk about? We talked about redemption. How was your day? Boom, that's it, right? And so we got uh, uh, redemption groups for men and redemption groups for women. But here's what I know to be true, is that, listen, as long, if you're here today, and and this is true of you, that you have some things uh, in your life that you have not brought to the light, here's the deal. I have had, this has been the summer of mold for me. I could talk for hours about how mold has infiltrated my life. And what I know to be true about mold, and maybe you do as well, because it's been the most humid summer I think I've ever experienced in my life, is that mold loves the darkness. It loves the dampness. What does mold hate? It hates light. And I got news for you. I wish this was true. Mold doesn't go away by wishful thinking. You can't say, ah, that'd be a lot of work and be really painful to, you know, you, you do the exploratory hole in the drywall, you peel it back, you smell it, and you're like, dang, that's a whole heck of a lot of mold. Let me patch that back up so nobody knows about it, and, and hopefully that will get better, right? They'll take over your entire house. Yeah. It doesn't go away with wishful thinking. It doesn't. It gets worse. It grows like wildfire with darkness. Give mold a little bit of dampness, a little bit of darkness, and it's the compound effect, baby. Compound effect. We're getting like 30% interest, uh, just accumulating mold on that thing, uh, going all over your house or your car or garage or, or wherever mold could be found, Okay? But some of y'all here, man, and that's your plan when it comes to sin is, hey, you know what, is uh, 
I can't deal with that now. That would be too painful to bring to the light. That would be too much work. That uh, would be embarrassing. There's shame involved. Uh, I'm not saying it won't be painful. I'm not saying there won't be um, some consequences. But I want to encourage you, uh, is, and this is for freedom that Jesus Christ has set you free. It's not God's will for you to be living in slavery. You are carrying around a dead, stinky carcass that is ruining your life and, and, and is impacting your family. You living with that, that, that secret, that guilt, that shame, is, inf- is, is, is it's infiltrating everything in your life. God wants to set us free. He doesn't want us to be carrying around dead, stinking carcasses uh, uh, and burying bodies in the sand in our lives. He wants us to be set free. Would you bring that to the foot of the cross? Would you bring that to light? I'm not saying, you know, go on Facebook, up to, upload your Facebook status with all, you know, all your deepest, darkest sins. But I'm saying, hey, we, we're, we're throwing you guys a beach ball. If we're playing slow-pitch slow softball, we're throwing you a beach ball with these redemption groups for you to begin this, the, the road to recovery and freedom in Christ. Beach ball, baby. Just swing. Just join the group and start sharing and see what Christ does with that. See what he does with that. Bring it to light. Stop living in the darkness. It's awful. It's awful. And listen, listen, if you're living here in the darkness today, listen, you're letting the chains grow tighter and tighter and tighter. You're living, you're, you're adding iron bars to a self-made prison. And listen, you're right where the enemy wants you. You're right where the enemy wants you. He loves when his children live in the darkness. Uh, this is the, the hope and the promise we have in uh, 1 John 6 through 9. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Can't be here and say, I, I'm, the kingdom, I'm in the kingdom of light. I follow Jesus, but I got a whole, got a whole bunch of bodies in my closet. That I, nobody's on my, that's not how it works. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Walking in the light brings us together, uh, uh, brings us into fellowship with one another. That's what redemption groups are. That's what a picture of redemption group, groups are, is this verse, is us coming together in the light, knowing that we're covered by the blood of Jesus, so therefore there's no shame for us. Therefore, we can share the mistakes that we've made and bring those to the light so we can get healing, we can get freedom from the things that are enslaving us. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, listen, it cleanses us from all sin. What beautiful news. For the person here who's living in secrecy and darkness today. But if we say we have no sin, if we say there's no mold in that house or no body in that ground, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But listen to this beautiful promise in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's a stirring in your soul today, if what I have said, uh, I feel like the Lord told me to say this today, or put an impression on me to share this, if what I have said is, is touching on something in your life today, would you throw yourself to the mercy of a God who's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you? He's a merciful God. And let him begin the beautiful but yet painful work of sanctification or redemption in your life. Stop walking in the darkness. The light is so much better. The light is so much better. So that's my commercial break for redemption groups. What we see in this passage is that in an instant, Moses went from the prince of Egypt to Egypt's most wanted. He went from the wealth, wealth uh, of Egypt to the wilderness of Midian, a fugitive on the run. And, and what's interesting here is that uh, uh, although Moses made a rash, impatient decision, kind of going ahead of God, we see God's favor for him and God's sovereignty over that decision. 
And what we also see, what we can admire about it, what Scripture admires about Moses' decision here in Hebrews 11, 24-26, talking more generally about Moses' life, uh, but what we can admire about what Moses did here is that his desire was to do what was right. Like what Moses did here is he stood up for injustice. He intervened when someone was about to get beaten to death. He went about it wrong. It was rash, rash, impatient. He wasn't trusting in God. But it was a costly decision that he made where he lost everything. He lost everything for doing what was right. And this is what Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward, he was looking to the reward. And so again, although Moses' decision was rash, maybe foolish, it was a costly decision to stand up and cry out against injustice. And listen, as followers of Jesus Christ in Luke 9, Jesus says, if anyone would be my disciple, let him take up his cross. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For listen, for whoever would save his life will lose it for my sake. It's a costly discipleship. It's a costly grace. There's a cost to being obedient to Jesus Christ. And we're seeing that in our culture, in our world. And my challenge to us uh, as Christians in 21st century America who are living in luxury, we are, we are. Are we willing to take a hit to our reputation, to our wallets, to cry out against injustice, to be obedient to Christ? Are we willing to do that? Is he far more valuable to us than any, any wealth that this world can give us, any comfort this world can give us? And so moving on, Moses now is in the wilderness uh, he flees to Midian. Midian was the northwest part of Saudi Arabia. It was liter literally the desert. And what you need to know about the wilderness, there's a mega theme in scripture of the wilderness being God's refining fire, where God uh, uh, brings his people to the wilderness, kind of to bring them low and to strip them of all the idols that they worship and, and, and so that they can now find their God in the wilderness, that he can bring them low to bring them back up. As Jeff said uh, a couple weeks ago, it's God's laboratory where he does his most beautiful work. And so the wilderness here we see for Moses is that it's not God's injustice towards us or towards his people. It's where he brings about the beautiful yet painful work of sanctification and redemption in our lives. And I would articulate, I would argue that God's favor is shown to, towards Moses is more seen in God driving him to the wilderness for 40 years than palace life for 40 years. Because it's 40 years in the wilderness that God was transforming Moses. God was actively at work in Moses' life, transforming him from a priv privileged, self-trusting, proud man to a humble, trusting servant of God. And so before Moses became the mediator and redeemer of his people, God first had to take him to and take him through Midian before he brought him back to Egypt. And the passage continues, verse 16. Moses is sitting there, he's journeyed, he's, he's without a people, without a home, he's, he's, he's at a well, sitting there having to draw water himself, no, nobody in the palace to serve him. In verse 16, this is what happens. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the trust uh, uh, to water their uh, father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their Flock. And so the scene we have here is Moses sitting at the well. Uh, seven uh, of, of um, uh, Jethro's daughters come up to draw water from the well. But so do uh, uh, these rough and tough shepherds, kind of like a biker gang rolls up. And they start bullying uh, the seven daughters and, and maybe making derogatory comments 
uh, pushing them out of, uh, of the way. And what we see here, what we see in this passage is immediately we see Moses' uh, uh, courage and compassion. That Moses somehow non-violently, mind you, makes a stand again against injustice. Makes a stand against injustice. He said, hey, not on my watch, fellas. Get out of here. These ladies were here first, and it's time for you to leave. And Moses was mighty in his words and his deeds. He knew how to carry himself. And uh, he's the man, and he was able to get these shepherds to leave. And then not only does he protect these women, and by the way, we're, we're talking like roughly 4,000 years ago, ancient Near Eastern, Eastern culture, and Moses is sticking up for women. And not only that, he's serving them, and he waters their flock, a task reserved for women. And we see immediately Moses here humbling himself, already learning uh, humility in the wilderness. And so Moses saves the day. Bunch of foreign uh, 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 ladies he's never met. He stands up for them, waters their flock, serves them, and they leave him. In verse 18, and when they came home, the daughters came home to their father, Raul. He said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, well, then where is he? Why have you left him? Call him that he may eat bread. So what happens is the girls return home. And they're all excited about what happened and, and all of them trying to share the same story. And then finally, the oldest one probably takes charge and says, you won't believe what happened. There was this, this Egyptian I've never seen before. He's chilled out the well and he's, he protected us from these shepherds who were bullying us. And then he gave us a bunch of water. It was amazing. And Jethro's looking at him, Ray was looking at him, uh, same person. And uh, he, he goes, okay, so why did you leave him at the well? That's a keeper, ladies. That's a catch. He's an Egyptian. Maybe he's got deep pockets. Bring, you know, like we, I, I need you to marry this guy. I want you all to marry this guy. This is a good man. Bring him home. Are you kidding me? Run, go, go, go. Go back to the well. See if he's still there. And so verse 21, they go back, and, and, and what we see here is Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he, gave, and he gave Moses his daughter Zippor, smart man, smart move, and she gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And so what we see here is that in Midian, in the wilderness, even in spite of Moses being a fugitive on the run, even in spite of one of the biggest mistakes maybe that he made in his life, we see God's faithfulness to Moses in the wilderness. A man who lost everything is now, uh, what God's doing is he's rewriting Moses' story. He's rewriting his story. Gave him a wife, a son, a family, and, and, and he's, he's actively at work in Moses' life, sanctifying him, making and molding and shaping him into the mediator and the redeemer that he needed Moses to be to send him back to Egypt. And uh, from Moses' standpoint in the wilderness, it could have uh, looked like God had completely abandoned him. And yet from our standpoint, we see that this is exactly where God wanted him, that, that in the wilderness, God hadn't gone anywhere. God was still faithful. God was still at work. God was still seeing, and God was still working in Moses' life. And so I'll conclude with this. Um, maybe some of you here today, you, you, you find yourself in a wilderness. Uh, the, the waves uh, uh, the circumstances of your life are, are crashing over your boat, and, and, and you're freaking out. And you're wondering in this crazy season of life, this wilderness, you're saying, God, have you abandoned us? Where are you in this 
From my vantage point, it looks like you're up to nothing and you've left us to fend for ourselves. Would you rest assured that our God goes nowhere, that our God is the God of Isaiah 40, the God who never leaves, never forsakes his people. And actually, it's God's grace to you where you're at in your season. It might be, it might be God's favor and his grace to you, that wilderness season right now, because that's where he begins his beautiful yet painful work of sanctification and redemption in our lives. If you find yourself today and you're crying out and you've been crying out to God, would you trust in him today? Would you look to Jesus, not look to your circumstances, and trust that this God of Isaiah 40 who spreads out the heavens like a curtain is for you in Christ? What more could he give than the, than the life of his son on the cross for you? You think he doesn't care for you, he doesn't see what you're going through, and isn't walking with you through that? God's with you in that. Don't doubt, don't waver, trust. Trust in him. Look to him. And we see his favor in Moses' life, and, and you better believe looking back on, on, on your past, you'll see God's hand. You might not see it now, but you'll see his presence and his power actively at work in your wilderness journey right now if you find yourself in a wilderness. And so I'll conclude with uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and I just absolutely love this passage. It follows Hebrews 11, where uh, the author of Hebrews uh, articulates. It's called the Hall of Faith, the Heroes of Faith, and Moses is part of Hebrews 11, uh, that passage we shared from. And he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also, listen, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, throughout the New Testament, our journey with Jesus is often articulated as a race as a race that we run. And what we have is an encouragement here. Let's throw some stuff off that's slowing us down. Maybe some bodies buried in the sand that are slowing us down from what God truly wants for us. Maybe just some comforts, earthly comforts that are slowing us down, some weights, some sins that entangle us from running the race with endurance. It's an encouragement to confess, to bring sin to light, to throw some stuff off that's hindering our walk with God and bringing glory to his name. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us not looking to ourselves, again, not trusting ourselves, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter, the pioneer, if you will, of our faith who went before us. He first went through the wilderness on our behalf so that we can have hope in our wilderness, that he's been there. He knows what we're going through. He can sympathize with our weakness and our wilderness wandering, but we have hope in that. We have hope the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy of seeing his children walk in the light, the joy of him, uh, of his children having their sins cleansed and forgiven, being reconciled to God, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our, our Redeemer is a living Redeemer. Our Redeemer lives. He's on the throne of the universe. He's in control, sovereign control over anything. So if you find yourself in the wilderness, my encouragement to you is, is God's word in verse three. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let this season in your life strengthen your trust and your faith. Will you make a pledge today and say, even when I cannot see, I trust in your goodness and your faithfulness, and your love for me, God, because you're a good God. And that's evident through how you have loved me uh, by the giving of your son, Jesus, and what he endured on my behalf.
And so with that said, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, God, um, that you have redeemed us, God. We no longer have to live in darkness. We no longer have to uh, live in, uh, in guilt and shame and condemnation because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And for those here today who are living in guilt and shame and condemnation, Holy Spirit, would you come, would you minister to them right now? Would you pour out your love and your favor and your cleansing uh, blood upon them? May they experience, may for the first time in their lives, your forgiveness, your undeserved, unmerited mercy, and your love for them. Help us. We need you. We need you. Pray that this fall, as we're going through this series, Father, that you continue to work in our hearts to not be content with where we're at, living in sin, if we're unrepentant, living in unrepentant sin. Help us to uh, be bold and courageous, trusting in you that you're in control. There's no shame for us. There's no guilt anymore for us. That you don't want us to be living in secrecy and darkness anymore. Father, for those here who are... uh, just doubting. They're looking at their circumstances, maybe their marriage, uh, maybe their job situation, a a health crisis, whatever it is, and they're wondering uh, where you're at. Would you comfort them this morning? Would you encourage them? Spirit, would you remind them that you're the God of Isaiah 40, a God that is for them, a God who's working out all things for their good? Would you just uh, encourage us through your gospel, your good news today, that we are people who are covered we're covered past, present, and future for all of eternity. Life is set in you. So thank you, God. It's totally undeserved. The redemption you purchased at the, the sacrifice of your son. So thank you, God. May we be found grateful. May we be found grateful. So we thank you. Give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. We pray this in your name. Amen.